I'm going to be talking about data visualization, and these slides are going to be online. So um, there's a, a number of links scattered throughout this, so I'll give you that at the end. Um, so basically, I want to talk about this visualization app that we built in Brighton, a company, Darnfly. Um, we're a network of freelancers, so you'll see a number of people, five people put this together, um, all with different roles. And this is a data visualization for Southwark Circle, and I'll tell you all about Southwark Circle. So, um, it, in this talk I want to talk about the, um, the process, the design process, some of the technologies, some of the decisions, uh, and all the different areas that, that go into a data visualization. So um, uh, the reason I find this really interesting, data visualization as, a, as an area, is because it brings together maths and psychology and interaction design and art and programming and everything. And it just boils it all down into this sort of one niche area. And um, I've got a few examples of different types of visualization that will, just to show what's possible. This is um, Stephen Wolfram, who made Wolfram Alpha. Um, he's a bit of a visualization nut. He's uh, been recording every email that's uh, gone into his inbox for like, how long? Uh, a long time, 15 <laughs> years, um, and each dot is um, an email that he's sent, okay? A third of a million emails. So you can see, okay, he's sleeping at these times, and that's when he went to Europe, so his time zone changed, and that's when he sort of has uh, supper, um, and you can see that sort of band of time. Uh, and he goes on, he records his keystrokes and on his computer and everything. He records everything. It's a bit like, um, anyway bit like an analogy, I was going to say. Um, and this is flights over Europe um, over the course of um, a day. And I believe round about now, the flights are about to go more strongly into the UK. There you go. I think that's sort of as dawn breaks and people wake up and there's more flights and etc. Um, heat maps showing intensity of stuff over geographical space, Greek loans, uh, and th this, is a, this is what 100 million uh, euros looks like, and that's 2 billion, and then these are all banks that have lent 2 billion, and then like 9 billion, and so on, and this is actually each of those trucks all stacked full of euros is the uh, debt in Greece at the moment. Um, so that's quite an, uh, uh, yeah, building it up from, from a tiny paper note to an army. And more and more, and there's, there's all sorts of things, and I, I'm not going to go into all these details. Uh, there's a really nice library called uh, D3JS. I think there was a talk here quite recently. It can do loads of stuff. And, and so on. Okay, back to the slides. 
So, I just want to think a little bit about what makes a good data visualization. Uh, and this is, I'll tell you what I think. You can decide for yourself. So, I think that the first thing is that there should be a purpose. The thing that you're going to visualize should have some meaning, otherwise why are you bothering to visualize it? Okay, it's fairly obvious, but... Data. So, you've got a purpose. Um, what data are you going to choose to show that purpose? What data are you going to select? You should make sure that you're recording the right data, or you've got the right sensors, and you're capturing the right thing. Secondly, analysis. The analysis should be fair. You've got this, all this data. How are you going to boil that down? In which way are you going to boil it down? What are you going to throw out? What are you going to focus on? Um, I, I would say that journalism and science and data visualization is open to, is very subjective. You can sort of prove one thing if you want to show it and um, prove another thing if you want to show that. So there's a responsibility to be fair and I think the, that comes down to the last one which is sharing the source of your data, sharing your raw data so that other people can uh, decide for themselves. Uh, the appearance should be beautiful, should be simple, should be efficient, should focus on exactly the right thing that you want to show and leave out everything else, uncluttered. Um, and last thing is that easy to understand. Data, the whole point is that you're boiling down loads and loads of numbers into something very simple and hopefully engaging that you can pull at it and play with it and explore it uh, and you keep wanting to dig into it and, and understand the data more and more and hopefully at the end the person viewing the data is illuminated, they, they've understood something better as a result. Okay, so we may or may not have achieved that, this is what we did. Um, this is the brief, so what we were to do were to show Southwark Circle's social impact. I haven't told you what Southwark Circle is yet. Uh, but we want to show the social impact of this social enterprise, this project in Southwark in London, um, and to visualise that. So Southwark Circle is it's a project by an organisation called Participle. Um, their aim is to re, remodel the welfare state, to fill in the gaps, and it's very much around the theme of taking away from neediness and putting much more emphasis on capabilities and uh, empowerment. So this is a project with um, older people in the community. And the idea is that people can join the scheme and they can get support for the little things in life. Um, and they can share their experiences with others, they can learn from one another or from volunteers or helpers uh, or they can teach other people, they can share their own skills. Uh, and this is all about improving the third age of life. You know, you're the first age, you're young, very dependent, can't do very much. Second stage, get a job, have responsibilities, maybe a family and, and so on. Uh, and the third age is retirement, um, people are in relatively good health, uh, less responsibilities, kids have all grown up. And then the fourth age is one of frailty and decline. So the purpose of the project is to um, 
take the emphasis of age, it's a welfare for age, you know, which is very often done in a kind of um, support people when they're really kind of desperate, rather focus on the stage before that when they're in relatively good help, health, um, helping with the little things in life and extending and improving the third age. Anyway, um, uh, just some examples. Someone might need a plumber and they don't know who to, to ask for, who, who, to, um, who to call out. So they might ring up Southwark Circle and say, can you find me a plumber? Okay, they might want help getting onto Facebook because their children are on Facebook and um, what is this thing, you may ask. Um, uh, they might want to learn how to send a, um, a message on a mobile phone um, or they might want to teach Spanish because they know Spanish to someone else and they might go on socials. Okay, so what we had to um, work with, the raw ingredients for this visualisation, the helpers who went out and spoke on the phone and went and visited and went on the socials, the people involved in the, the project, they were um, logging certain events that happened in, in people's lives. Not, in front, not with a clipboard right there in front of the person, more sort of in the weekly reviews with the team back at the office. Um, and what they were interested in were four main things. Uh, so firstly, whether a skill had been acquired, someone had learned how to use a mobile phone, for example. Whether a capability had been unlocked, um, that someone knew how to do something but they weren't really practicing it and through the confidence and process of being involved, they were uh, more able to to unlock that capability. Third one, that they uh, made relationships with other people um, in the group. Um, and the fourth one, that their lifestyle had changed in some way. Maybe they went out more, or I don't know, gave up something, choose something. Yeah, um, their lifestyle had changed. Okay, this is all a load of information. I'm just sort of giving you that this is what we had, this is what we knew, this is what we had to work with. These learn things, they're calling them learn things. Um, events that happen to people by category, by person, by location. And the brief again to show Southwark Circle's social impact. Um, this is mainly for an internal tool for them to understand how they're doing. Maybe it would help them get funding, it would also help them roll it out to other, other areas around the country, and there's a few circles now. So. I'll throw it open to you. Oh, I'll take a breather. What would you create? Any ideas? What would you do with this? What would you... What might you do? Find out which of the helpers is being more productive. Okay. Yeah. How might you show that, do you think? Compare them to each other. Uh, those, you have those four metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's subjects divided up into smaller areas, compared cells. Mm-hmm. Some trends. Have like an FAQ section from that. trends, like certain things that had been, um, yeah, that had happened more than others. Mm. Yeah. Perhaps show influence or connections between different people, like who's teaching who what. Okay. Or who's helping who or what. Okay. Some sort of social Any idea of what form, what visual form would that be? Uh, I'm waiting. You just say no, but uh, <laughs> just wondering, yeah, okay. Any other ideas, yeah? Knowing 
where it happens, you could probably figure out which areas are most populated and uh, assign most people to see exactly how the performance is and then you can sort of flatten it out and get mm -hmm. more people in the areas that are not popular. Mm -hmm. Based on, uh, if, if you're going to ask me about how I would represent it on the map, mm -hmm. color it out and then just imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, we, we, that's one thing we thought about actually, um, a heat map, that was one of the first ideas that we kind of um, uh, pitched back, you know, that we said, oh, we could do a heat map and show which areas of Southwark are more um, concentrated and which things happen and which ones need more attention. Uh, and we, we had a few different ideas, yeah? How do you correlate perceived impact to real impact? Um, so you get all this information back. Mm. In the helper's head or in the person's? Right. How can you tell that there's a real impact and not yeah. just a perceived impact? Um, I think the, the answer to that is that this, this is intrinsically subjective and what we're trying to do is make the subjective into objective. You're trying to show something that is very felt. Um, but they're not going to respond to it. Sure. So, I don't have an exact answer, but I can imagine um, we didn't record the data, so Southwark Circle recording it, so they would answer better. I imagine you could look for cues and for what someone says, like, oh, I'm feeling so much better now I play football on a Sunday. I don't know what, but um, there would be certain things that people say. Or you could objectively record that someone did go to this thing, and they hadn't done that kind of thing before. That's quite objective. So, and maybe actually a lot of it's leaning on that. It's maybe a better answer, that a lot of it was objective. You'll see that what actually was recorded, yeah. You could have something along the lines of the age of the person, the number of hours that was spent in training that's So say that again, you've got, what are the three axes? You've got their age, the time that was taken, um, the two uh, axes in the flat plane, and then the quality of the uh, improvement, mm -hmm. either viewed by them or viewed externally as, uh, as an improved capability. Mm -hmm. You'd have one third category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. Um, that might be, we'll see how similar that is to what we actually did do. So, um, yeah. Can you just take all the data and put it to a really sweet pie chart, like a sick pie chart? <laughs> <laughs> a pie chart? Like, a histogram, like, just a pie chart with histogram. And you just got... Well, this is the thing. <laughs> Histograms, bar charts, yeah. line graphs, like pie charts. These are the classic. Like These three are the classics. Someone can use the colours like orange, blue... Probably a bit of purple in there. Lots of colour. Lots of colour. Yeah. Okay. We could we could do that. I think I think D three's got a plugin for that. Sick colour. Um, so, what we did, we went through a process of idea development, um, read some books and thought a lot, 
Um, and here's one book, um, Edward Tuft, Envisioning Information. And on one page in that book, uh, he's representing, um, this is a meteorological almanac. So it's a place to look up weather, and specifically weather that happens in different parts of Tokyo um, on different days. So I'll show you this in, in more detail. So each of these symbols represents a different weather type. That's snow, and there's light rain, and heavy rain, and sun, and you know, various symbols. Each block, each column, each block um, uh, grid is um, a town, or an area. Um, each symbol going down is a day. Okay, this, this represents one month um, across ten years. I, I believe that's, what, that's the way it is. So, um, so you see, he's got a whole big ream of different sort of places. Okay, so um, Edward Tuff said this. Um, high information graphics convey a spirit of quantitative depth and a sense of statistical integrity. Okay, from that I, I take to mean that basically you can zoom in and you can see the individual data points, and you can kind of zoom out, squint your eyes, and see, you know, other trends. I mean, that, that, that's what I took from this, that um, it's possible to get granularity and overall trends. Um, and we thought, okay, that's good, we'll take that. Um, and we drew a little bit on our own previous work. This is a concept involving atoms representing people and molecules and networks and collisions and... Uh, that's another story, but that that sort of was in my, our minds as part of this evolutionary journey. Um, this was a quite psychedelic game concept for uh, uh, the science museum. It ended up winding itself into uh, a project at the uh, at the museum. Um, it involves rocks that vibrate and uh, are held together by chewing gum string and. There's suns that calm them down, and it was all quite uh, interesting. Um, that came into it. So the mood, the, here are some other external kind of ideas, different apps and, and games that inspired us. This is um, Alice. Does anyone know Alice? So one of the, um, one of the first iPhone games, uh, I'm not particularly a gamer, but this, this game really used touch beautifully. Um, you move these little circles around and you've got to avoid things and anyway. It, it's really crisp, really vibrant, really <coughs> vector, really interesting kind of uh, style. And Noby Noby Boy, um, a bit frivolous, but it's not really a game, it's a toy and you kind of just want to pull it and play with it and again it's an iPhone. Uh, it started out as an iPhone call this boy and stretch him and anyway, stuff. Okay, and above all else we're uh, guided by this principle by Matt Weston who was leaving this idea development. Um, busyness is good. Okay, by which he meant that um, we've got this tension, we want it to be crisp and clean and clear and efficient but the busier this visualisation is, it probably represents stuff happening in the community. So probably what we want to do is 
draw the right thing so that you can see when it's busy and when it isn't. And when it's busy, then you know you're doing well. Okay. So, started with pencil on paper and using this, evolving this sort of idea of symbols in a grid. We first thought, like the meteorological almanac, is each learned thing maybe a symbol, and you just got one event is one symbol, and you could just have this big almanac of stuff that happens in Southwark. Um, but then we that turned into this idea that each circle was a person, um, and these different things like the size of the circle, and the darkness or the colour of the circle, and these lines between them, and these rays that go around them, that maybe those are the different learned things, that we can show those different symbols around the circles, around the, um, the people. So this is the key. The idea here is the, the size denotes that capabilities have been unlocked. The more, the bigger the size, the more capabilities have been unlocked. Connection between two people, that denotes that a relationship has been initiated but from one person to another. The colour denotes a lifestyle change and the rays of the sun that a skill has been acquired for each new ray. So we did some mock-ups. Uh, this is our first mock-up. Um, <coughs> looking a little bit like a list here, you, you notice. Uh, circles on, on black. Um, we made the skills like little bands of colour around the outside. We've got the kind of lifestyle change colour going on between green and blue, um, got the size changing, we've got lines between them. Here's a little info box to explore more, and a key, and a timeline. And we thought that looked a bit too gamey, so we made it white, uh, a, bit, a bit more sober. Um, but then it sort of looked like these looked like poker chips. Um, so we thought we'd, okay, we'd tweak those a bit more, and went with triangles. Nice and bold, quite clear, don't look like poker chips, quite sort of sun effulgence. So this would be a very skillful person, a very skilled person. They gained lots of skills. So, yeah, yeah, we made it. Um, it's at dharmafly.com slash circleviz, um, or at least the, um, the one with the dummy data is. Um, the one with all the data is um, quite huge. Um, Anyway, I'm not going to show you that one. I'll show you the dummy data one. Um, here we go. This is, this, you hover over these people and you can see um, what has happened. This person has acquired a skill. The skill they've acquired is learning personal financial skills. And the relationship they initiated was they invited someone else to, to join them. I, I, it doesn't say in what, but you see the... Um, the relationship show up with um, with the lines, um, the size there. That's the unlocking capabilities, and so on. Okay, you can also toggle these on and off if you want to explore one metric over another. Uh, and we're showing like the. Um, total number of skills in the community. So this is like a little kind of overview of the um, of the community. Now this 
This was a pain to build, but very effective. This is the timeline. So this lets you go back um, in time and replay events and see what's happened in the community over time. I'm going to tell you a little bit how we built this, but are there any questions on this? Uh, is it clear what it is, what we made, what it, ma you know, what it means? Any questions? No? Okay. Yeah. So who inputs the data? So the data is input by the, the volunteers and the people who work for Southwark Circle, and they, uh, every week they have a review, and they just record, you know, which, which people have they gone to visit, which events have they been to, which people have they phoned up, and they are actually putting little data points in um, some software called Salesforce, which is um, for managing contacts. Yeah. Okay. That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you exactly that. <laughs> okay. So, firstly, on the back end, um, we've got Frank Sinatra there just typing in the... There's a, there's a Ruby uh, library called Sinatra, and what this is doing um, is just hooking into Salesforce via their API, sucking out data um, whenever it's been requested, and then spitting it out again as in JSON format. Uh, and that JSON is sent down to the, the web page, which then unscrambles it and draws the visualization. So that's the first step. Um, very high-tech um, markup uh, on the site. Actually, the, the markup's very simple. But anyway, so that's right then. Um, Raphael. So we use Raphael, uh, which is a very low-level library for drawing. Um, it's a JavaScript library, and it draws vectors. So you can draw circles and shapes and lines, um, and they're very crisp at whatever size you, you render them. The technology, that vector talent technology is SVG. Actually, it, it can output in different formats, but let's just say SVG. So I'm just going to give you a quick run through just to show you how easy Raphael is. You can create a container. Um, to, so you start off by saying, okay, here's, a, here's an HTML element on my page, this div or this whatever, and put it in there. Okay, so that's, that's this HTML container. You say, I want this width and that height. Okay, there's your SVG stage or paper uh, in Raphael terms. And then to draw a, a circle, for example, you just say paper.circle, here's the, here's the X position, here's the Y position, here's the radius and it draws a circle. And if you want, you can say, I'll fill it orange and I want a blue line and I want it to be 10 pixels wide. Okay. That's simple, really simple. Um, a, a little bit more complicated if you want to draw a line or a path. It actually accepts <coughs> um, SVG format um, for the, like the instructions for how to draw this line. What this is saying, M stands for move, and L stands for line, so it's saying move, move the pen to x is x50, y150, and then draw a line to from there to 150, 250, and then draw another line like that. So you're just like I don't know if anyone had these 
Oh, show my age now. Uh, turtle, yeah, right, logo. Turtle, yeah, there you go. It's exactly the same thing. SVG was probably written back then. Um, anyway, like that. Um, if you add a Z to the end of the path, it will, start, it will join it back to where you started the path. So now you've got a shape. And if you fill it, you've got a, a filled shape. Um, and last one I'm going to show on Raphael. Um, it's really, really super simple to capture user events because SVG is just filled with nodes. It's just like HTML. So this is the big difference with Canvas. Uh, Canvas, you've just got this um, uh, canvas. Um, to <laughs> you say, okay, put that pixel like this, like this, like this. And at the end, you've just got this canvas still. Uh, with SVG, each shape, each line is an element, and you can listen to user events on it, and you can, you can manipulate them all individually, like layers in Illustrator or Photoshop, in a way. Um, okay, so here I'm saying circle click. When some, someone clicks that circle, then circle animate. And I want you to, to animate it, change the center X position to this position, change the center Y to that, change the radius to that, <coughs> make the animation last for 600 milliseconds and make it bounce. That's just the algorithm by which, by which it uh, animates. So I'm going to click it. There you go. Is that not using uh, It's not using jQuery, no. Are you using D3 there or is it just Raphael on its own? Just Raphael on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's loads that you can do with Raphael. Um, There's a little link to the documentation for later. Okay, so what else do we... So that's easy, I mean, that, oh, easy, Raphael, fine. Uh, right, but actually it was quite difficult. Um, bottleneck. When you're building a website and you've been reading Steve Souders and everything else and you want to um, perform, you want your website to perform beautifully, What's the bottleneck? I mean, the big one that you'll hear about is page load. Make your page load as fast as possible. Okay, that doesn't apply here as much because the page load, we can actually spend a little bit more time if it means that when the person is interacting with the, the visualization, it's going to be faster. So be clear on what is the bottleneck for your particular application. Um, and for us, it was the time slider. When you slide that, um, it, so much is going on, so many things are changing, and you just want it to be as smooth as possible. And actually adding this time slider probably um, made the development time like 20 times as long as it would have been <coughs> otherwise. Um, so, what, so what we did was split it into each, when you move the slider one pixel, that is Depending on how much time has elapsed from the data that you've just got, it will sort of cut that up into time segments. Okay, one pixel is however many days, and then go through the data, and between the last pixel and this pixel, this much has happened to all the people, and okay, capture that difference and put that into an object, into a JavaScript object. That now describes the changes for everyone in this day. You've computed it all above... Uh, all pre uh, at, at the start before anyone's touched it so you've got it already so as soon as someone moves it that pixel 
bank, you can just draw it. Um, and different techniques for drawing a whole big range of um, pixels. Obviously, you don't want to draw each step. You want to sort of mush it, smush it together and then draw it in one go. Various things there. Um, coordinate system. This, I, I didn't do uh, so much maths myself, and this really bent my mind. Um, each one of these is a group. Um, each person is a group. You've got like triangle paths and you've got circles and there's lines coming out of them. Um, so you've got coordinate system just within that group and then you've got the coordinate system of the SVG thing and then you've got the thing of the page and you've got this kind of overlay to coordinate systems and I didn't want to put, um, see that, that one, that circle's really big. If every circle took up as much space as the biggest one, the whole thing would have been really puffed up. So wanted to optimize the space but still give everything and just enough space and it was tricky uh, to do that kind of thing. The, uh, the HTML info box that overlays, uh, while that is triggered by a mouse event, the actual info box is HTML by the way, it's just sort of, so we've got HTML layer overlaid on top of an SVG layer. Um, what sort of layout algorithm did you use for that exactly? Was it sort of walkers or um, yeah. It just emerged. I, yeah. Nothing, nothing no, pre-baked. Right. Yes. Yeah, because we tried to do um, something in Raphael a couple of months ago. Okay. It was a real pain in the arse, basically. I'm sure there are very useful algorithms out there that you can just say, okay, lay this out. You know, like masonry or isotope for HTML, but maybe there's yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, we, we ended up just sort of kind of implementing this guy did it back in 1989. Okay. Yeah, so I think okay. pretty much just said, okay, that many, based on, worked out all the positions, <coughs> said, okay, this many will fit on one row based on their width. So, so they're. The well, no, it, it starts off now, today. Right. And they don't shift out of their group positions okay. because that would be too jarring. Yeah, that'd be weird. Um, so, yeah. They yes they do but they stay um, they stay in one place. You oh, see. So it's calculated based on what they could ever possibly be at any. Exactly. They wow. yes yes. So it's calculated. It's impressive. They calculate at the end point and then you work backwards. That's why actually we start the slider at today. I mean you probably want to see it at today because it's the accumulation, but it's also easier to to start with everything and work backwards. Um, yes. Lots of fun, lots of fun. Um, want it to perform well. So just a couple of little tricks that you might be able to use. First, throttling. When you swipe over, um, so this info box, for example, um, it appears when you hover over a circle. But you note, when I, if I go really quickly, this info box isn't sort of drawing all over the place. It waits. If you're there on that circle and you wait there for a quarter of a second, then it will draw it. So the info box isn't madly trying to rush to catch up. So that's, that's throttling. Say, okay, don't, don't keep asking me. You know, I'll wait until you, you, know, you stop to ask me. Okay, fine, now I'll draw it. Okay. Um, there you go. I'm, I'm emoting uh, JavaScript functions. Uh, delegating. So 
<coughs> just like HTML, these are just nodes, so um, you can listen at this container level for any events that have bubbled up to the top um, and then act on that event, so which means you don't have to uh, add event listeners to every single node, you just listen at the, the container level. Um, SVG groups and, and classes, so like I said before, one of those is, is an SVG group, there's a, there's a G element in SVG, um, and when we're resizing, rather than saying, okay, you triangle, please you resize, and you circle, you resize, and the other circle, and all the other things, you just um, resize the whole group. And the way that we do that is with a <coughs> CSS um, translate, uh, that scale um, property, because again, these, you can just chuck CSS at, at SVG to style, to style the SVG. So you just say, okay, group, scale, and then it just goes. Um, does Raphael actually have support for groups, or is it just using sets? No, there's a plugin. Yeah, um, I yeah, modified yeah. a plugin. Yes. Uh, Raphael accepts plugins. Right, yeah. Raphael is designed to support VML as well as SVG. VML is an old Internet Explorer vector library. So actually, Raphael only supports the... Um, the uh, well, the intersection, or you know, like the the, the small, the lowest common denominator of properties between the two. Yeah. Supposedly, VML is meant to be one of the really great technologies for visualizing. It's great. It's great, but it's really slow. It is really good, but it's quite slow. That's the only, and it's been phased out. And it might be just slow because it's by six. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, so so yes, um, we had to break out of Raphael and do some things. We were using the jQuery in here as well in the in the visualization. That's jQuery, not not in this slide. Um, yes. Anyway, so you can still manipulate the DOM when you need to and break out of Raphael. Um, and the other thing to say there is that um, each of these has class names. So these lines, there's a path with a class relationship. Um, and so in your CSS style sheet, you can just say any path that has class relationship, then colour it grey and make the stroke size this size and so on. You can set all those SVG style properties in your CSS style sheet and when you do that and you apply a class name the browser has to do a lot less work than if you were drawing this part and say, oh by the way I want you to be grey and one pixel and like this and like that and every single time you draw it to do that, that's more um, work for the browser. Uh, I don't even know if we actually use this, but it's, there's this magic bullet um, in CSS that uh, tricks the GPU, the, the, the computer's um, uh, hardware, <coughs> to actually accelerate your, the rendering of the page. If you, um, on HTML5 rocks is where I sort of first read about it, um, translate Z, basically you're saying translate this element in Z space. But actually, you, you just make you just say, well, don't actually translate it, but you just set the property, and then it, the GPU kicks in, and you, your visualization will work a lot faster. Um, I'll link that to the, the article. It explains it a lot better. Um, JSPerf is a website for setting tests. You can say, okay, test this, and test how quickly the browser does it, and test it against this. And you can just, I was just living inside JSPerf that month, and just like, testing this and all, oh, if I do like this, would it be better and so on. Um, and the last one is boil it down. 
Um, I remember at university when I had to write a dissertation and it was, I just had so many words <coughs> and words flying all over the place. I just so first just wrote it and then cut out the words, oh, I can say that in five less words and just like slowly, slowly boil it down. Um, you can do that same kind of thing with performance, just splurge it and then knowing the bottlenecks, just tweak that bit a bit better. Okay. So to summarise, um, loads of possibilities with DataViz. Got to look at the different aspects of it and make sure it's, um, it makes sense as a whole from the purpose to the data to the appearance to the experience. Um, and make sure you're building the right thing. The ideas will evolve. Um, draw on past work, play with it, play with it and iterate. Start on paper, definitely. Um, bat it backwards and forwards and just become like, you know, yeah, just embed yourself with the other people working on it and the client and you're like, like this and it'll iterate. Um, and I guess that's all I wanted to talk about other than just to invite you um, to um, a series of three events that we'll actually be holding in Brighton. Um, these are free events. Uh, the DataViz Lab, this is the idea, and I've just put something up on Lanyard on the train on the way up, so uh, there's a little link down here, um, bit.ly slash DataViz Lab. Um, the idea is to bring together not just programmers, but also artists and maths geeks and journalists and anyone who cares about this stuff and just get different people working together. Um, it's on three Fridays from July into August. The website for Lab for the Recently Possible, uh, which is where we're holding it, is l4rp.com. Um, and that's it. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Kate. Kate. Jess. Yeah. Start to finish. How long was the process? What? A school. Um. Was it? Was it the council? Who deals with it? The can't go Um. So the participants are an independent company, um, but they're working with councils. Um. We were working with three people from participants. Um. The idea, kind of. Just stated, you know, it's sort of, you know, there were, there were discussions there. Um, we'd done a little bit of previous work with them before, um, so we kind of knew where they were at. Um, yeah, I mean, the it probably took the the main the main thrust of it was probably around um, three months, um, not every day. Um, I think we spent. Um, 27 days, like work, 27 man days, you know, uh, working on it, um, and probably two thirds of that was JavaScript. Um, so that there was a good chunk of sort of discussion and, you know, it's quite informal. oh, very informal. It, was, it felt like we were like their 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 team or their design team, or you know, it, it was very very yeah, very informal. We just speak and, and um, 
send across sketches and say, oh yeah, we like that, and well, that's interesting, you know, develop that a bit more, and we just go away and send them more stuff um, like that. Each person. Each circle is a person, yes. How many people did they have in the um, At the time, it had been running for a year, and I think they had 150, something like that, and now they have many more. Okay. Um, yeah. And it, and it has spread to other areas um, of the country as well. It's now the circle network. So does that, what you've built, scales like in that format to hundreds and thousands of people? Um, yeah, well, mm -mm -mm. if I, so this is, uh, this is now, this is, oh, actually this will take a, bit, a little bit of time to generate, but um, this, um, this is live data. Da, da, da. There. there you go. So this this is um, as of this week. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Uh, that one's been that person's been. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it. it, it it's it's the technology still works. I mean you could argue that. Maybe when there's that many, it's it's less clear to see, and then maybe now we should work on another iteration that takes that into in, into mind. Yeah. Did you have to make it work with as well too? Uh, allows you that, but you do you do you did the CSS uh, uh, scaling and other stuff like that? Did you have to do that? Um, we because this was. Um, Mainly and initially, as uh, like an internal tool, um, it's run in very controlled circumstances. If they're showing people, um, thankfully, we we were we didn't have to worry about um, older browsers. It runs fine in um, it runs fine as far as I know in um, Internet Explorer nine. Um, in other ones, the, the page is still there and there's a little screenshot and says, yeah, sorry. Um, because we did, if you do just use Raphael, it handles VML and it will just work. But because we're breaking out of it and doing other little things with SVG, um, it, those aren't supported. Yeah. Um, I guess with, you, with this, you can extend it to put it on a map and make it a bit more geographical. Like, see trends and where people are Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you could yeah link for, uh, do a different kind of visualization and move between them depending. Yeah. Yeah. So if Explorer or all the browser why Raphael and what not D3? Why what? Why Raphael and why not D3 or other things? Um, this was uh, we built this before D3 was made, so that was why. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but D3, yeah, D3 can do a lot more than Raphael. Raphael's just, no, yeah, it's just drawing, basically. Would you use D3 and just get rid of the IE support now if you could, if you were to do it now? Um, well, it would have the same IE support with D3, um, because, as I say, we're, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Thanks, Prem.